This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here, always joined by Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo uh, from their areas of the country. We have a special guest on the show this week as well. We're going to do top 10 positional rankings. Four of those top tens are out on MLBPipeline.com. You have right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, catchers, and first basemen. Uh, Pipeline will continue to make its way around the diamond and then finish that off with the top 100 overall prospects sometime next week. Uh, but we are lucky to be joined on one of the guys in the top 10 right-handed pitchers category, and that is Jose DeLeon of the Los Angeles Dodgers system. Jose, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm happy to be here. All right, so, Jose, you got a taste of the major leagues in September um, after a tremendous year in the minor leagues. What did you learn from that brief stint up with the Dodgers at the end of the season last year? Well, it's, it's hard not to, to learn something uh, when you're in the same locker room as Kershaw and all those guys that uh, they put so much work day in, day out. And, uh, uh, the thing that I that I have to say that I learned is that you have to be consistent with your with your work. Uh, uh, that that work ethic those guys have is something special and something you try to 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 do as well. So the the consistency that those guys have out off the field and the the work they put before the games that's just outstanding. So that that. That really, that really impressed me. Jose, uh, you know, one of the things you've also had to, to learn to deal with this off season uh, has been either paying attention to and or ignoring uh, trade rumors and things of that nature. I would imagine, because I know you're a guy who's on social media and stuff like that, that you've seen your name uh, pop up. Uh, now and again, uh, especially as it pertains to Brian Dozier of the Twins. How, how have you dealt with this offseason in, in terms of that's really the first time you've probably ever had to deal with that in your career? Well, this is actually my third year dealing with that. Um, and it's, it's something that I enjoy, uh, to be honest with you. Because uh, when, when you have teams uh, and, or, or just people throwing your, your name out there, people are going to know about you. So uh, it's fun. Uh, it's something that you, you can't control that. It's, it's going to keep happening. So you just got to, if you, if, you, if you don't like it, you got to deal with it. So uh, in my case, I enjoy it. And, and I know I'm, I'm really clear that, that I have to control what I can control. And that's something that's out of my reach, and I just got to deal with it. So it's, it's actually fun, and, and I, I, I don't mind it at all. Jose, I want to ask you about when you, when you broke into pro ball from your first season as a pro to the second. You were 24th-round pick out, out of Southern. 
and had a rough pro debut, ERA of almost seven. But then the next year, the, the second half of 2014, I kept hearing from scouts, hey, keep an eye on Jose De Leon. This guy's got a, a great arm. You were Pioneer League Pitcher of the Year. You, you broke one of Clayton Kershaw's strikeout records at low Class A Great Lakes. What changed between 2013 and 2014 for you in pro ball? Uh, I got to say that the, only, the, the thing that, that not only, but the most that, that, that changed was my – my my mindset i think I, I was i was more i was more on top of, of what i was doing and i was more prepared i knew what what i have to expect and i was just more ready for it so uh in my first year in pro Bowl, i didn't know what to expect i came to spring training the next year uh didn't work out as as i should have so they left me in extended, and in extended, they just opened my eyes. They they opened my eyes, and 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 I started working as the right way. So everything just changed, and and I think the mindset I was I was I was it was way different. I was going to say, how much you talked about learning from the the guys in the big leagues about preparation, and obviously that's a whole different level. But how much of that was? Uh, preparation, even from a, a conditioning standpoint, both uh, you know in in your off-season work and in your between starts work. I've talked to a lot of guys when they first start their pro career; they're not quite you know aware of how much needs to be done to be able to be ready to pitch every five days, as opposed to you know every week when you're when you're an amateur. Yeah, um, in in my case, I don't I don't really. Talk too much to the other guys, but I but I look around a lot, uh, and and you you never see a guy in spring training, a veteran guy, just sitting around doing nothing. So if if you see yourself that you're just sitting there not doing anything, and you see guys that has they've been ten years in the in, in the big leagues just always doing something, then then you you know that you're doing something bad. You're doing something wrong. So uh, there's all there's always something to do, and as you say, preparation is the key to everything. And uh, and that's something that I, that you can that you can see. And I, I saw it in big league camp this year when I last year when I when I when I went there for the first time. Jose, talking to scouts about you, I mean, you've got an array of good pitches, but the, the pitch that, that a lot of guys tell me they think is your best pitch is your changeup. Do you, do you agree that your changeup is your best pitch? And, and how long have you had such an effective changeup? Is that something that's gotten better uh, as you, you've climbed the ladder in pro ball? It seems like you have a lot of trust in that pitch. Yeah, but I've I got to say that my, my, my best pitch is a strike, no matter which pitch you, what it is. So, uh, but the changeup, I really like it, man. Uh, uh, I took I took pride on that pitch and because it wasn't it wasn't that good and uh, I remember in, in in low A they told me that they wanted me to throw at least 10% of the times so I was I was throwing it below that and that off season I came to Puerto Rico pitching pro in in the winter league and started throwing it and I was throwing it and throwing it and throwing it and I I think I kind of forgot about the the breaking ball because. Next year, I had the fastball and the changeup, and the breaking ball was non, non-existent. Uh, but uh, but I, I think the the changeup is I, I I think is my my best pitch, my my best secondary, and I I really 
I really enjoyed throwing it. Somewhere a pitching coordinator is smiling with that answer, Jose, by the way, about a strike is your best pitch. Um, you know, I'm sure that's been preached to you from, from the get-go. I want to ask you a little bit about your mindset heading into this spring training. You got a taste of the big leagues. You, you kind of understood what you need to work on. Um, you know, obviously anybody who gets to the big leagues wants to stay there. It, it's kind of crowded. Uh, in, you know, in the big league rotation. Uh, wh- what are you hoping to do you know, in big league camp this year? You know, last year you were probably just trying to open some eyes, impress some people. You know, now that, uh, I would imagine there's a little bit of a, uh, boy, I'd love to land a job. Right, but that's, that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself. And I think the only thing that you have to have in mind going into string training is to be healthy and ready to make a club. And um doesn't matter which one it is, just get out of spring training healthy and pitch a lot and throw more than more than 114 innings. That that's the most I've thrown in my career. So uh uh that's my key. I don't I don't put too much too much pressure uh on me about that. I just I know that I like I said before, I got to control what I can control and that's uh being healthy and and putting putting the work that I have to put in. Jose, I noticed on your your Twitter feed, uh, uh, your most recent tweet was. Uh, it seemed like you were pretty excited about uh, Pudge Rodriguez getting elected to the uh, Hall of Fame. Could you just talk about how much pride you take in that? Uh, you know, as a Puerto Rican, it seemed like you were very excited about that. Yes, of course. Uh, the the sense of uh, patriotism that we take here is. It's something that that not every country has, and uh, uh, having a guy like from from our island that he was born and raised here, uh, being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and being uh, in in such a select group is something that it just gives me goosebumps just thinking about it, and um, it's it's really exciting to to have guys like like like. Uh, being in the Hall of Fame, especially last year, I was working out with a with a, uh, a personal trainer that he was the one who trained Pudge his entire career. So every time Pudge came to the island, uh, we worked out together. So uh, I've, I'm I have so much respect respect for that guy because uh, the way he loved the game, you can still see it now. Even he's been retired for for. Uh, for more than five years, and uh, it's just it's just something that you admire and you, you try to emulate. Thank you so much, Jose. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Good luck this season, upcoming with spring training, obviously right around the corner uh, out there in Arizona. Thanks for joining us, and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. All right, that was Jose DeLeon of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, and he is in our the Pipeline Top 10 right-handed pitchers rankings. And, guys, we will move right along to that. I guess one thought from each of you on Jose, because he came across as, as really, I thought it was a great interview. Um, the honesty talked about Clayton Kershaw and those guys and their effect on him when he got his little brief stint in Los Angeles last year. And, I, and maybe the best line was that his best pitch is the strike. 
Yeah, I thought he, yeah. he sounded very focused. I, I, I was very impressed. I've never I've never interviewed Jose before this. Uh, I haven't bumped into him in the fall league or in Dodgers camp or anything like that. I, I was very impressed. He seemed very focused and kind of knows what he needs to do and, you know, ready to do it. Yeah, I'm wondering, Jim, you alluded to when you asked him a question about it when he first started. I mean, this this guy entered pro ball with no fanfare. There was no expectations. He signed for $35,000 and really struggled uh, before it clicked. I think there has to be, one, a, a sense of not taking anything for granted, and, two, a, a belief in yourself, you know, because you could have been that guy that no one knew about, wasn't recruited, wasn't drafted high, and then wasn't good at the outset. I think a lot of guys would have folded like a card table, and, and, and he got to work. Uh, and no, you're right. I mean, it would have been very easy to say, you know well. what, maybe, maybe not. I'm not, you know, I agree with you, Jonathan. And, you know, it would have been very easy to say, well, you know, maybe I'm just not that good. I was a 24th-round right. pick, and my ERA was 6.96. And instead, I mean, it, it, it seems like he figured out, okay, <laughs> this is what I need to do to get better, and he did that. I mean, I, I'm amazed that, I mean, the guy who is in the contention for having maybe the best changeup in the minor leagues you know, basically, you know, kind of came up with the pitch, pitch or really refined the pitch two years ago. You know, it just seems like, from what I know about him before the interview and just, you know, what we learned of him during the interview, it just seems like this is a guy who works hard, and if you tell him this is something you need to do to get better, he does it and gets better. I, I was very impressed with him. I thought, I thought that was a good interview as well, Tim. All right, without further ado, let's move on to these top ten lists, and we'll start at right-handed pitcher. Seems like the good place to go with Jose DeLeon joining us and we'll start what I'm going to do is I'm going to go 10 to number one and then you guys can each pick a player off these lists kind of your favorites not necessarily the top guy um, one from the top five one from the bottom five so right-handed pitchers number 10 Reynaldo Lopez number nine Jeff Hoffman in the Rockies system Jose checks in at number eight then it's Brent Honeywell with the Rays at seven Anderson Espinosa traded to the Padres last year at six Francis Martez of the Astros five Michael Kopech another former Sox Guy at four, Lucas Giolito, now with the White Sox. Number three, Tyler Glass, now with the Pirates, two. And Alex Reyes of the Cardinals, one. No real big changes at the top of that list. Jonathan, of those top five guys, I'll start with you. Um, who do you want to talk about, I guess, is the best question. Who's your favorite guy in, the, in those five? Uh, I guess I'll be the, the Pittsburgh homer. And We would uh, expect and nothing less. Yes, and, uh, and uh, I don't want to disappoint uh, people, um, but I will pick Tyler Glass. Now, obviously, I mean, right-handed pitching list is incredibly deep. These, all ten of these guys are upper echelon slash elite level prospects, so you can't really go wrong. But um, I am still a firm believer in, in Glass now, and uh, you know, I think there are a couple people because he struggled a bit when he was in the big leagues that you know think, oh well, his star has faded somewhat. Uh, you know, he had 23 and a third innings uh, and was up and down a little bit. Um, you know, uh, there was one time I saw him throwing at PNC Park. He hadn't even been called up yet. I mean, they were keeping things quiet. You know, so I, I don't put too much stock into that. He threw a little bit better at the very end, had a good start at the end. I hope that carries over. The one thing he did or didn't do in the big leagues is trust his stuff. He, he was trying to make the perfect pitch too much because of the level he was at. And I think if he just goes and trusts what's really, really good stuff, he's going to be just fine. 
Uh, the command is, you know, remains an issue. Uh, he's going to have to throw more strikes, but um, he can be so dominant when he trusts his stuff that uh, he can pitch around the walks more often than not. Jim, how about the bottom five of that list? I guess the guy who intrigues me the most is the youngest guy on this list, and he might be, I haven't verified this, but he has a good chance to be the youngest guy on our entire top 100 or any of these position lists, and that's Anderson Espinosa. Uh, with the Padres, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, some people consider the the best pitching prospect in the 2014-15 international amateur pool. Uh, you know, made a, got a taste of low class A as a 17 year old in, in 2015. Got traded in the the controversial trade uh, for Drew Pomerantz uh, last summer to the Padres and. You know, I was talking about him on MLB Network the other day. Jonathan and I have been doing, you know, hits on these various top ten lists. And and I think it was Matt Vasgersian who brought up the point that, you know, it seems like every young Latin American pitcher who's not a big guy but has a big arm gets compared to Pedro Martinez. And, and that's true. And Anderson Espinosa does get compared to Pedro. But in his case, you know, I'm not saying he's be first foul Hall of Famer, but is a little bit more apt. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's got roughly the same build. He's got the, the kind of exceptionally long fingers that really allow him to manipulate and spin the ball. Uh, he, he's very advanced for his age. And I think this is a trade that's, they, that could really come back to haunt the Red Sox. You know, we just saw one. You know, Jeff Bagwell just got into the Hall of Fame. Again, I'm not, uh, I'm not putting Anderson Espinosa in Cooperstown yet, guys. But I, I didn't understand the thinking of the trade at the time. I thought it was too much to give up for Drew Pomerantz, even when we thought Drew Pomerantz was fully healthy. And this is a guy who, who's got it already. He's 18 years old. He's got a mid-90s fastball. He, he's got a, a plus changeup. He's got a curveball that's a plus pitch at times. He, he throws a lot of strikes. I think he was thrown off a little bit by the trade. It didn't quite pitch as well as he had before the trade, but we got to remember this guy was 18 last year as well, the whole season. He won't turn 19 until March. I think Anderson Espinosa, when we have this conversation a year from now, could be the number one right-handed pitching prospect in baseball. So you're comparing Drew Pomerantz to Larry Anderson? Yeah. He could, uh, a left-handed uh, injured version of Larry Anderson, apparently. <laughs> but uh, it's, I mean, that trade, actually... I was at work for Baseball America at the time, so I was covering prospects. And Bagwell, you know, I don't think there was – apparently Peter Gammons, the story was, was outraged, was so disgusted he walked home from the press conference from Fenway Park like two miles away to his home. I didn't have that level of surprise, but I was – I don't know about you, Johnson, but like sometimes when you have these moves happen in baseball, you get texts from people you know in the game. And I got probably a half dozen texts from people saying, am I missing something? Or what did you think of that trade? And everybody seemed to think that Anderson Espinosa was a, a high price to pay. Yeah, it was. I thought you were talking about the Bagwell trade. <laughs> the, I, I, I was, second, I'm much younger than you are, Jim. So <laughs> well, I had, no nobody had a cell phone back when the Bagwell trade happened, or at least I No, that's true. Good point. That's true. No, yeah, no, that, uh, that was quite a bit. I mean, I feel like, you know, every four or five trades, there are those that you go, really? That much? It didn't seem like the market had been set that, that high, especially for a guy with as up and down a track record as Pomerantz had. So I'll agree with you there. All right, on to the southpaws. And number 10, Steven Gonsalves with the Twins. Sean Newcomb of the Braves, number 9. Justice Sheffield, the Yankees, number 8. A.J. Puck uh, of, with the Oakland A's, number 7, drafted just last year. Amir Garrett with the Reds is number 6. And then in the top 5, Johander Mendez of the Rangers. Colby Allard with the Braves. Braxton Garrett, another 2016 draftee of the Marlins at 3. And then Jason Groom, another guy drafted last year, number 2 with the Red Sox. And Josh Hader of the Brewers, who's kind of skyrocketed up this list in the last... 
year, year and a half uh, now that he's with the Brewers. Uh, tremendous. Let's start with you again, Jonathan, but this time you have to pick a guy from 6 to 10. Sure. I will point out, however, uh, Jason Groom is younger than Anderson Espinosa, Jim. So there's that. Well, there it's you so go. rare Very that nice. I can point out that Jim is wrong about something. So okay. I, you know, I like to do it when I can. Fair. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go with Amir Garrett, who has long been uh, one of my favorites. You know, not just because he came to Cincinnati early for our you know our futures game participant touring things, and just was a really good dude. I just I like the story, and you know, played college basketball at St. John's, brings that athleticism to the mound. Uh, even though he's 24, I, you know, I think he's still really learning how to be a, a pitcher. Uh, you know, this is a guy who didn't really play high school baseball, and then not that long before the draft, decided to start throwing bullpens and was in the mid 90s. Um, you know, since he gave up college basketball after a couple years at St. John's. Um, then he then he transferred to out west, but didn't really but didn't play. Uh, it's just been coming more and more. Uh, you know, split the year between double and triple A last year. Uh, I think he's at the very least uh, like a workhorse, middle of the rotation kind of guy. But I think there's some ceiling left here, just because he's you know he's so big, strong, and athletic, and he's still really just learning how to pitch. I think some of his secondary stuff and his command might get sharper at, you know, the more and more innings he's able to accrue. He, you know, he was up at uh, almost 145 innings last year, so uh, he is a guy who you're going to see in Cincinnati at some point this season. And then, Jim, you get to pick from those top five guys. Well, I think anybody who listens to our podcast has probably heard me wax poetic about Josh Hader and Braxton Garrett enough, so I'm going to mix it up a little bit and go with Colby Allard as a guy who intrigues me. He, like I said about Anderson Espinosa, it would not shock me if by the end of 2017 the Colby Allard establishes himself as the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball, I think he's got that opportunity. A lot of people thought he was the best pitcher, best high school pitcher available in the 2015 draft, but he slipped to 14th overall to the Braves because he had a stress reaction in his back, and people were a little worried. You know, he's not the biggest, most physical guy, and I think that's the concern, although he was healthy last year. They kept his innings down, but he, he did pitch close to 90 innings, most of them low Class A, but if this guy's healthy, I mean, you're looking at potentially three-plus pitches with control to match, and he's got command, and he's got moxie, and he's got mound presence. Uh, you know, I really like the whole package. You know, I think this is a big year for him. I think they'll cut him loose a little bit more. You know, probably let him pitch 125, 130 innings. We could see him. I would assume he'll start the year in high class A. Maybe we'll see Allard reach double A. But very, very interested to see what uh, what he's going to do when the, when the Braves kind of let him loose, and hopefully he stays healthy in 2017. All right, let's move on to the backstops. From the pitchers to the catchers we go. Checking in at number 10, it's Jacob Nottingham of the Brewers, Jose Trevino of the Rangers at 9. Austin Barnes with the Dodgers, number eight. Tom Murphy of the Rockies, seven. Then Reese McGuire with the Blue Jays, number six. And then your top five catching prospects, Chance Sisko, one of the best names in the minor leagues, leagues with the Orioles as number five. Zach Collins of the White Sox, four. Jorge Alfaro of the Phillies, three. Francisco Mejia of the Indians, two. And number one catching prospect is Carson Kelly of the St. Louis Cardinals. Our producer, Danny Wexelman, big smile on that one as Carson Kelly checks in at number one. All right, uh, Jonathan, you're up. Top five guys, you get to pick one of them. I would like to say formally that I'm glad I'm picking from the top five in this group because I think there's a 
there's a drop off. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with with number five, just because I think we don't give Chance Cisco uh, enough credit sometimes. I think part of it was because the early stages of his career, he was a guy who hit, and he didn't have any power, and there were questions about his defensive skills. Well, since that time, he has become a much better all-around player. Uh, he's continued to hit for average. He hit 317 uh, almost uh, entirely in, in AA, a late bump up to AAA. Uh, the catch-and-throw skills, all that has become a lot better uh, to the point where people are no longer afraid that he can't stay behind the plate, in which case then the power profile isn't as important. But there's also been some more extra base pop. If people watch the Futures game, I know it was just one game, but uh, – he he actually crushed a ball um, the other way, uh, which you know if you were going to pick the la- the last guy that you thought might go deep on that U.S. team, it probably would have been Francisco. So uh, you know this this is a guy who I think is starting to come together and now is looking more and more like a legitimate everyday catcher at the big league level. Jim, you are up bottom five guys of that top ten. Yeah, it was nice of Jonathan to just malign the entire back half of the catching top ten. I'm sure <laughs> Reese McGuire and company uh, will hopefully have some pointed messages for Jonathan on Twitter when they listen to this. Uh, I'll tell you who intrigues me, and, and I almost feel bad for him because I, I feel like this guy could be a starting catcher. He just hasn't been in a position necessarily to, to start, and that's Austin Barnes of the Dodgers. He, uh, Jonathan can, can research this. I might be wrong. He might be the oldest guy on our, our, our top ten <laughs> position list, Jonathan. At, at 27, he turned 27 at the end of 2016. And I think it's almost because he's versatile that he gets looked at as being versatile rather than starting caliber. But I see a guy who is hit for average and gone on base and made line drive contact everywhere he's gone. He's got a little bit of sneaky power. He's a good athlete for a catcher. Uh, his arm is, is it's probably average, but he gets the job done. He's a good receiver, very agile behind the plate. He's, he plays a capable second base. He plays a capable third base, so he's a really interesting utility profile. But I do think a guy who, who's a solid hitter and a solid receiver with an average arm and okay power, I think that guy could be a starting catcher for a lot of teams, and he just hasn't had much of a chance to play at all in Los Angeles. He's blocked by Yasmani Grandal. I do think he'll be his probably the, the number two catcher in L.A. this year. Um, but I do think, like, had his career worked out a little bit differently, he got traded from the Marlins to the Dodgers, and he maybe been with another organization, that Austin Barnes probably wouldn't be on this list. He'd probably be, you know, coming off his first or second year as a regular in the big leagues. And uh, I'll be kind of curious to see how his career unfolds. All right, we are moving on to the first baseman, which uh, hot off the presses, actually. The top ten first baseman just came out on MLBPipeline.com this morning. Uh, we'll start at number ten, Sam Travis of the Red Sox, Reese Hoskins of the Phillies, number nine, Matt Thice of the Angels, number eight, Ronald Guzman with the Rangers, number seven, Rowdy Talese. Talese? Talese, guys. I don't want to get it wrong. Talese. Rowdy Talese of the Blue Jays, number six. Casey Gillespie of the Rays, number five. Then it's Bobby Bradley of the Indians. Dominic Smith with the Mets. Josh Bell, who's actually first base slash outfielder with the Pirates. And Cody Bellinger with the Dodgers. Jonathan, we go back to you. Uh, Six through ten, who's your favorite? Hmm. Hmm. Trying to decide between – Rowdy Talese is very interesting to me because he's so big. But, you know, I'm going to give Reese Hoskins some love. If for no other reason than maybe the Phillies fans who are always giving me a hard time uh, will leave me alone for 10 minutes. Um, 
I kid. I love them. I love them all. Uh, I do the Phillies' top 30 list, so I do tend to hear from them. And Hoskins is one of those guys that I constantly will hear we have underranked. And to his credit, all the guy has done is hit. Uh, you know, pretty much since he came out uh, as a you know as a fifth rounder in 2014, you know he had a big first season in 2015. Uh, they moved up to Double A. Uh, yes, Reading is a very good place to hit. Tim, you can probably attest to that. Yep. Um, but this guy has some interesting skills. He's got power. Um, he finished second in the minor leagues in home runs last year. Uh, only behind his teammate Dylan Cousins, and he was third in the minors in RBIs. You know, so the guys in the upper levels, and he hits 38 homers and drives in 116 runs, uh, all while relatively decent strikeout total and walking 71 times, you, you tend to take notice. Now, he is a right-handed, right-handed hitting first baseman. Uh, you know, my cautionary tale with him has always been Dylan Roof, who – had a you know was huge in the Myers and the Phillies and uh, not nearly as good in the big leagues, but um, Hoskins may be a better pure hitter than Roof, uh, and the power does seem to be legitimate. Uh, so he's you know looking like he could be you know have a chance to be a an everyday big leaguer at first base once you know once there's a spot for him to give him a year in AAA. But you might you may see him in Philly at some point this season. Yeah, Redding's a small uh, small ballpark in between Hoskins and Dylan Cousins. Those two guys made it look really small uh, a year ago. Jim, what were you going to say? I was going to I was going to pose a follow-up question to sure. Jonathan that you know, knowing that Redding is a, a launching pad, who do you think has a better chance to be for real, Hoskins or Cousins? Um That's that's a tough one because I think Cousins still has some ceiling and he's figuring it out some. Tools-wise, there's more ceiling. The safer bet is probably Hoskins just because his approach is so much better. So, you know, even if he's not a guy who's going to hit 35 homers in the big leagues, um, I think that the on-base skills and the pitch recognition will allow him to hit uh, enough for him to be a quality big leaguer, while, you know, Cousins, if it all comes together, could be tremendous, uh, but he also could strike out 200 times, doesn't walk a ton, um, so, you know, the safer, the safer bet would be Hoskins, I think. All right, moving on to the top five in, in that category, first baseman. Jim, who's your favorite? Well, I know we've been avoiding taking the top guy, but I really, okay, really like okay. Cody. I'm going to go ahead and take Cody Bellinger here. I, I just I really like Cody Bellinger as a prospect. I won't, uh, I won't give anything away as to where he's going to rank on our top 100 that comes out. Saturday on a week from Saturday on MLB Network, and then we'll have the list up live on the site as well. I actually, I think, voted him several spots higher than he wound up, and he wound up pretty high on the list. I, I just think that there's a few bunch of things that impress me about Cody Mellinger. One, I think he might, for me, he's the best power hitting prospect in the minor leagues. I, I like his power, usable power, better than anybody who's in minor leagues. Just got to see him play a lot in the Arizona Fall League, and he looked really good there. In fact, he was the only guy who did anything the whole Fall League against uh, Jared Miller, the Diamondbacks. He got a two-run homer off him in, in the Fall Stars game. Secondly, I have never heard scouts talk about a first baseman defensively like they do with Cody Bellinger. And not that defense is the most important part of, of what you're looking for in a first baseman, but they rave about this guy. I mean, they don't put 60s on him. They put 70s on him on the 28 scouting scale. When we were doing our, our recent all-defense team, I had a scout rattle off about five or six people he thought could be 
the best, single best defender in the minor leagues, and Bellinger was one of them. And he said, this is going to sound funny because he's first baseman, but I think Bellinger's probably got the best chance of winning a gold glove of any of those guys. Plus, he can play the outfield, not just the corners. I mean, he can, I mean, you wouldn't play him every day in center field, but he's a capable center fielder. And then third, I just like the way this guy's made adjustments. It really, really impressed me. First couple of years in pro ball, he concentrated on, you know, kind of getting indoctrinated into the pro game, putting the bat on the ball, making line drive contact. Obviously, his first baseman, you're going to need power. Third year in pro ball, he, he added some loft to his swing. He started pulling the ball more, hit 30 home runs in 2015, and his strikeouts went up, too. Well, last year, he continued to hit for power, maintained the same kind of power, and he cut his strikeout rate from 28% to 20%. So I just think this guy is just such a gifted player that he's going to hit for average, he's going to hit for a ton of power, he's going to win gold gloves, you could play him in the outfield, which is nice, because Adrian Gonzalez probably isn't going anywhere for two years. So even though I wanted to avoid picking the number one guy on our first base list, because obviously we love that guy, I think as good, I think as highly as Cody Bellinger is rated, not just by us, I think he's almost a little... I don't know if underappreciate the right word, but I, he is just really, really good. Great, great stuff, guys. Uh, so that's it for right-handers, left-handers, catchers, and first basemen. The top ten list will continue to come out on MLBPipeline.com. And next week on the podcast, we'll cover third baseman, shortstop, second baseman, and the outfield as well. It's been a good podcast. We especially want to thank Jose DeLeon for coming on. We love all these podcasts, but we have, we have a guest like Jose DeLeon. It makes it that much better. So for Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.